Good morning, church family. It's great to be with you guys. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can take it now and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today for our message. Let me just take a moment and again reiterate our welcome to every single person that's here uh, in person, as well as everybody who's joining us on the live stream uh, or listening online. It's awesome to have you guys uh, with us today as we open God's word. Um, we're going to be starting a new teaching series today called Dollars and Cents, right? S-E-N-S-E, cents, -E, right? We are in this series, we are wanting to learn to believe rightly about money. Believe rightly about money. That's the goal. Now, as soon as I say it, here's what I know. Um, some of you who are here today, you think you have your head on straight pretty well about money, right? Like you're pretty good with money. You're financially secure. You're savvy and uh, good with the way that you think about money, invest your money, spend your money, track your money. So you are I mean, perhaps you're even a financial professional. So you might be looking at me as a pastor saying, okay, what's this pastor guy going to teach me about money, right? That might be where you're at. Others of you who are in the room, you, may, you might feel like, okay, I don't know that much about money. In fact, I'm, I'm not super secure. I'm struggling with money. Um, I could use some help learning how to manage, invest, and spend, and track, and all those things. And so you might be kind of leaning in going, okay, you know what? Uh, what is this pastor guy going to teach me about money? Because I'll take all the help I can get. Some of us are strong with money. Some of us are weak with money. That's the, w the way it is. A lot of us are probably in between, somewhere in the middle. But whether you're good with money or bad with money, here's one thing that I think every follower of Christ can agree on, and that's this. As Christians, we are to please God with our money. We are to please God with our money. And here's the truth about that. We can't please God with money if we don't know what God thinks about money. We can't please God with money if we don't know what God thinks about money. And here's the problem. Um, I know that most Christians... They, they feel like they know a lot about what the Bible has to say about money. When in reality, we probably don't know as much as we think we do. In fact, if I were to give you like 60 seconds right now, and I just said, take a minute, one minute, and just write down all the Bible passages that you know about money. Um, some of you might be able to write down some. Some of you might be like, uh, I have some vague ideas. There's something in there about money being the root of all evil, and uh, you know we shouldn't rip off the poor, and maybe some stuff about not being greedy and tithing and stuff like that. But a lot of times, as Christians, we have general ideas about money without being able to anchor those general ideas into specific chapters and verses and points in Scripture. We think we know a lot about money, but we really don't know as much about what God thinks about it as we'd like to assume that we do. So, we can't please God with money if we don't know what God thinks about money. If we want to live rightly with money, we must believe rightly with money. So in this series, we're going to talk about believing rightly with our money, which of course the inference from there is that uh, if there are right beliefs about money, then there are also what? Wrong beliefs about money, which means, as I point out, right and wrong beliefs about money, it's very likely that someone here is going to be offended, right? Someone's going to be offended. That's the way it goes pretty much anytime we are confronted with anything that we think we're right about and then we find out we're not. Uh, none of us like to kind of have this illusion that we are um, on track and then find out that we're off track, and especially when it tends to be with a very personal topic like money. Speaking on money has become kind of almost like a taboo thing among Many pastors uh, in our culture, um, a lot of times pastors avoid speaking on money for various reasons. 
And uh, sometimes those reasons are because of the, the critique from the outside world, right? Where, where the people outside the church, they, they look at the church and right, wrong, or indifferent, they'll say, you know what? Churches always talk about money. They're always asking people for money. And, you know, then they go and they mismanage all this money and there's fraud and headlines everywhere. And so pastors hear this critique and we can be a little bit afraid to talk about money. So there's the critique from outside the church. There's also some of the um, offense with inside, you know, within the church. So whenever you start to talk about money and the personal kind of nature of it, we know that it's likely that there will be people in our congregations that get offended. And of course, we don't want anybody to leave. So what does that make us do? We get a little bit reluctant to talk about money. But there's another reason why pastors sometimes are reluctant to talk about money. And that's because of the struggles within our own hearts. Pray for me as a pastor. Pray for the rest of our staff and our leaders, our deacons, our future elders. Because sometimes we can be reluctant to talk about these issues because we know we're going to be held accountable for the things we preach. And when we have our own struggles regarding money going on in our hearts, we can be resistant. So sometimes we're reluctant because of the outside critique, sometimes because of the internal offense. Sometimes it has to do with the things that are going on inside of our hearts. But here's the truth. None of those reasons are good enough reasons for us to ignore God's word when it talks about money. And so today, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it for the next four weeks. And I want to tell you exactly why we're going to talk about this for the next four weeks. I wrote down four reasons that I want to make sure that we um, talk about money significantly for the next several weeks. Those four reasons are these. First of all, Jesus talked about money a lot. Jesus talked about money a lot. When you read the parables and the teachings of Jesus, you can't get past the fact that he addressed money frequently. Some people will say things like, you know, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about hell or more than he talked about anything else. And on one hand, that's, that's true if you track it a certain way. On the other hand, there's other ways to say, well, you know, sometimes we manipulate our thoughts on scripture to try to make it say something that it doesn't. So there's, there's right and wrong ways to approach that. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter if Jesus spoke about money one time or a hundred times. If Jesus spoke about money at all, it's important. It's important that we know what Jesus had to say about it. Um, it's, we're not just going to talk about it because Jesus talked about money. We're going to talk about money because the Bible as a whole addresses money. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about money. Almost every single book of the Bible addresses money, riches, treasure, resources, things like that. There are over 2,300 verses in Scripture that address these issues of riches, treasure, money, and resources. So the Bible as a whole talks about money. Last time I checked, every word was God-breathed, right? That it's all useful, profitable for rebuke, correction, training, and righteousness. So we're going to talk about it because the Bible talks about it a lot. Here's a third reason why we're going to talk about money in this series. It's because soon UBC is going to be talking about it a lot. And here's what I mean by that. We, as you guys know, if you've been coming for a while, we are, we've been working on a plan for our facilities expansion. When we get to the point where we're ready to roll out that facilities expansion, then we're going to be addressing the church for a building campaign, which means we're going to be talking about finances a lot. And I, as a pastor, I feel really concerned. I, like, I don't want to come to the church and say, hey, give your, give your money generously to this project and never have taught or pastored or shepherded our church toward biblical faithfulness, right? Like what a foolish thing for a pastor to do to ask people to give to a project and all the while they could be just kind of actually financially mismanaging their money by doing that, right? So we want to lay a good foundation right here for financial stewardship. 
um, before we ever ask for a dime for, from our building campaign. But there's a fourth reason why we are going to address this issue of money, and that's because the world talks a lot about money. The world addresses money, profit margins, bottom line, you know, uh, profit and loss statements, you know, what's our upward mobility, you know, what's our economic status, all these types of things. The, the world is speaking assertions about money into our culture, and we as the church have a responsibility to be able to discern the truth from the lies, Right? So we are going to take our time for the next four weeks, and we're going to walk through this sermon series on money. Um, here's how we're going to go through the next four weeks. Today, I'm going to talk about our problem with money. Next week, we're going to talk about God's perspective on money and how it's very different from ours, usually. We're going to be talking in week three about making plans with our money and the importance of having a financial stewardship plan. And then last, we're going to talk about giving principles of money. And uh, that's where this series is going. And I, uh, it was, so I just wanted to put it out there. We're going to be talking about money. So have I offended you yet? Probably will along the way. Prepare your hearts because uh, sometime next year, I think I'm going to do this sermon series called That's Offensive. And this is just kind of a warm-up for that. So get yourselves ready, okay? Um, today I want to talk to you about this. Our problem with money, okay? Our problem with money. I want to walk through today's teaching in three parts. I want to talk about the fruit of our money problem, the root of our money problem, and then the solution to our money problem. And my prayer is that today as we work through this, that really this teaching will kind of be foundational for the, the rest of our, our four-week study. You know, we, we're going to be addressing things today that we're going to need to come back to often and over and over again as we work through this. So let's see what God does. Let's jump into 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 6 where we see the fruit of our money problem. The fruit of our money problem. Here it is, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. The scripture says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. Man, wouldn't you like to actually be able to live that way? With these, food and clothing, we'll be content, right? We, we have an issue with contentment. The, the scripture right here uses the word contentment a couple times. It, it shows us that when our hearts are right before God, that the good fruit of our life would be contentment. Which means that the opposite of that, the bad fruit, is discontentment, right? Discontentment is the, the fruit of our money problem. Many of us can struggle with discontentment, can't we? Maybe I'm the only one. I think we can struggle with it. There was a, a, a quote that's often attributed to John D. Rockefeller that kind of summarizes our hearts oftentimes. Whether he said it or not, we don't actually know, but it's uh, assumed that this reporter came up to him and said, Mr. Rockefeller, um, you know, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just one dollar more right? Just one dollar more. Whether or not Rockefeller actually said that, you know, um, it's true. Like, we can often live our lives that way. Don't, don't we just think this way so often? Like, if I just had blank, then I'd be content. If I just had blank, I'd be content. And we fill in the blank with dollar figures usually. A certain amount in our bank account, our savings account, retirement accounts, a certain net worth, Right, like the, we we put our uh, our dollars and cents, and we fill in the blank there. And the problem is that even when we achieve that that goal, we're still not content. 
There's no greater example than this than people who win the lottery, right? Why do people play the lottery? People play the lottery, you know, I, not, I don't know. I don't want to assume people's motives. But it seems to me that there are, uh, there's a discontentment issue um, within our culture. You know how much money we spend as an American culture on the lottery each year? In 2017, this was the, the most recent day, stat I could find, 2017, $71 billion on lottery tickets. B- billion with a B, right? Like That's a lot of money. Um, you know how much it would supposedly cause to, uh, cost to alleviate world hunger in one year? About $30 billion. We spend $70 billion on lottery. Like, so, so what are we hoping? We're hoping for the big win. We're hoping for, you know, the big money, the big cash jackpot. You know what happens? Uh, I, I read this statistic uh, earlier this week. 70% of people who win the big jackpots in lottery competitions, 70% of them end up filing for bankruptcy. 70, why is that? Because inside our hearts, there's already this discontentment going on, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Vanity. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about our meaningless pursuits in life, you know? He's saying, look, this love of money, this this idea that you can be satisfied with your wealth and your income, it's vanity. It's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. You're never going to get it. Why? Because we as people have contentment issues. We have serious contentment issues. We imagine this day in the future where one day we will be happy we will have all that we need and on that day I will have blank and I will be able to do blank which means I won't have to do blank but it all hinges on having that certain amount of money we really do have contentment issues in our hearts we have satisfaction problems Some of us are probably thinking right now, well, you know, yeah, you know, maybe that's true, but I don't know if that's true for me. How do I know? How do I know if I really have a discontentment problem? I just wrote down 10 warning signs of discontentment. 10 things. These are just very earthy, very practical. 10 warning signs that you might be going through a little discontentment in your heart. Here's the first one. Do you have a pattern of unpayable consumer debt? Practical stuff. Do you have a pattern of unpayable consumer debt? I just want to be very clear. I don't believe that all debt is wrong. I actually believe that those who are disciplined and faithful with their money sometimes can use debt in actually wise ways when it comes to stewarding their money. But almost, but it's very few people that are that, are that way. For them, you know, credit cards exist for a reason because somebody else makes money off it, right? Like they're, most of us, are unable to pay our consumer debt, which shows what? Like, we're trying to live beyond our means. That's, that's uh, evidence number two, like warning sign number two that you probably have some discontentment in your heart. It's that you continually make purchases beyond your means. Sometimes they're small things. We rack up giant food bills. Other times they're, you know, uh, clothes and kind of material possessions. Other times we, we make big decisions about trying to live beyond our means, and it has to do with the homes that we purchase and things like that. And uh, if there's a perpetual issue of trying to live beyond your means, what's that showing? That's showing that you're not actually content with the status of life that God 
uh, in his sovereignty has given you. Here's a third indicator, a third warning sign that you might have a discontentment issue. It's uh, constant comparison. Constant comparison. Man, this is an issue for people in our culture. And it's, of course, um, even like fluffed out and exacerbated some because of all the social media. And we can see like who went on that vacation and look at that new house that they bought and this new piece of furniture that they have and their nice new car. And we start to see all this stuff and we compare, right? We get a little judgmental in our hearts. Well, if they really love the Lord, they wouldn't spend their money like that, right? Like we, and so we have these issues going on where there's some comparison. It's not just a comparison from like maybe the person who has less against the person who has more. Sometimes it's the other way around where the person who has more secretly, inwardly usually kind of looks down on other people because they don't have as much. They take a little pride in their possessions. There's this comparison issue. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for that, right? Remember the Pharisee who stood on the street corner and prayed publicly, oh Lord, thank you that I'm not, uh, you know, pitiable little publican like that guy over there, right? Like Jesus rebuked Pharisees for thinking that way in comparison, comparing themselves with others. Here's a fourth warning sign that you might actually have discontentment in your heart. This is kind of superficial, but you know what? Here it is. It's concern about brand names. You ever thought about this? Why do we get so fixated on brand names? A lot of times it has to do with pride, right? Because we, why does it matter what logo or brand name or little letters or picture is on our clothes or our car or our neighborhood, like our neighborhood house, you know, uh, little signs that we have? Like, why do we have that? Like, the car still has to get you from point A to point B. Who cares if it has a certain brand name on it, right? Like the, the house you live in is still going to put a shelter over your head and, you know, give you a place to live with your family. Why do, why do we get so caught up? It's because a lot of times it's rooted in pride. And when we have pride and we, we care deeply about getting recognition from people because we have expensive brand names and logos and things like that, it's just showing us that we're not actually satisfied in our identity in Christ, we, need, we're, we're, we have elevated human approval to a level where it doesn't belong. We're, we're not content. How about number five? Discontentment might be shown when we practice excessive work hours. Excessive work hours. Now, again, for all these, these are warning signs. Uh, these, they, they're things that could be indicators to us. So I'm not saying that every time you, like, work overtime that you're sinning or something like that. I know that we all have times where that's required of us and it's necessary. But let's be honest, a lot of times we're just doing it because we're not satisfied with our status in life and so we want to work excessively all the while ignoring our spouse and our children and making all these other sacrifices so that we can essentially just live a lavish uh, lifestyle. That's a big deal. It shows that we're not really content with the basics in life. Number six, what about this? Refusal to release possessions. Refusal to release possessions. You know, this is what happens. A lot of people get in financial trouble. They know they need to downsize. They need to sell things off, liquidate, or whatever. But we, we have these things that we won't let go of because we've started to wrap up our identity in the things that we have. We're not satisfied in who God has made us to be and what sort of provision he has given to us. So we have a hard time. It's like the story of the rich young ruler. What did Jesus tell that guy? He said, oh, you know, you followed the law since you were young? Okay, good. Now go sell all that you have, rich young man, 
give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And what does it say about that rich young ruler? That he left and he was sad in his heart. Because why? Because he had great possessions. He couldn't give them up. His heart didn't quite love God the way that he thought it did. Number seven. This is a big one for me. A warning sign of discontentment. Irritability over money. This is, this is seriously an issue for me. This is pastor confession time, right? Like, Rachel, she would laugh if she was here right now because she knows when it comes to like the day when, uh, of each month when I have to pay the bills, she just kind of goes to the kitchen and leaves me alone for a minute. And uh, I have to work through some stuff in my heart, right? But what does that reveal about me when I struggle to pay the bills and do all that? You know what it reveals? It, re- it reveals to me that I am putting too much of my security in the balance of my bank account. That I am putting too much of my hope there. Um, I have a discontentment in my heart. Number eight, this is basic, but important. Stealing, financial impropriety. Why do we steal, right? Why do we take stuff? Essentially, we, we take stuff that's not ours because we're saying to God, like, God, you haven't given me enough, right? You're not a good enough provider, so I'm just gonna take this. I'm a better provider for me than, than you are, Lord, so I'm just gonna steal stuff. Why do we practice financial impropriety? Because, you know, why do we, why do we chintz our employees? Or why do we kind of cut corners for our employers? Why do we cheat on our taxes? Why do we, when it comes to bankruptcy and stuff like that, like, well, maybe we could pay it off, but we'll just declare bankruptcy. Like, not that everybody who's declared bankruptcy has done that, but here's my point. Sometimes we do. We just practice financial impropriety because at the end of the day, we're not content. We're not satisfied with the allotment in life that God has given us. Two more for you. Number nine, warning sign about a discontent heart. It's when we make excuses for not giving. We make excuses for not giving. I think as Christians, we know, like God wants us to give to his work, to his kingdom, to support our local church. We know that the Lord wants giving to go to missionaries around the world, giving to go to the needy, those who are truly poor, those uh, you know, th- that are giving should go to um, the widow, the orphan, you know, things like that where we know those things are close to the heart of God. But man, sometimes we can just be full of excuses, can't we? We just make it. We, we even have the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts, but we just kid ourselves. We lie to our, our hearts are deceitful, aren't they? This is why the pro- proverb says, guard your hearts. It's got to be guarded because it's always under attack, right? There are, there are, we are, our hearts are deceitful. Got to pay attention to what's going on there. We make excuses for not giving. Here's the last one, and this one's really important. The last warning sign that you actually have a discontent life is a slow drift away from the Lord. A slow drift away from the Lord. Most people don't just one day say they're a Christian, the next day say, I'm done with this whole thing. Most people get caught up in something. And over time, there's a slow fade. How often does that happen with the pursuit of riches? Some of you who are listening today, you haven't been to church in a long time. And the thing that's going on with you, overworking, chasing money, you feel like you don't have time. Guys, we all have the same amount of time in a day. 
we make the choices with our time based off the priorities of our hearts. And over time, our hearts start to be drawn away from the Lord and to the things of this world. It's why Jesus, when he was preaching in the book of Matthew, he, he gave this story about how the gospel is like a seed and someone sows the seed, they throw the seed, and the seed falls on different types of soil. The soil is representative of our hearts. And Jesus says that one of the types of soil is like thorny soil. The seed kind of grows for a little while, but then it's choked out by the weeds. His disciples later ask what he meant by that, and he says, you know what, that's like the person who hears the gospel, initially produces some fruit, but eventually it's choked out by the riches and the, uh, the, and the money and the things of this world. That, we need to pay attention to that because all of us are prone to look back at our lives and say, surely I'm a, I'm a fruit-producing Christian because, you know, 20 years ago I walked an aisle or 20 years ago I was really committed to my church. But then as time goes on, the weeds choke out. They choke out what we once considered to be sincere. Jesus had strong things to say about this. Look what 1 Timothy chapter 6, back to our main text, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here's what it says in verses 9 and 10 about this slow drift. Here's what it says. Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, listen close, that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Guys, discontentment in our hearts, this craving for riches, it can cause you to wander away from the faith. It it can produce that slow drift in your heart. You don't think it can happen? Let me remind you of a guy in the Bible we're all familiar with, a guy named Judas. Judas walked with Jesus day by day. Judas heard Jesus' teaching. You know that Judas was actually one of the 12 that Jesus sent out and said, hey, I'm going to send you out now. You're going to go and you're going to heal people and cast out demons. He He was doing that. And what did Judas eventually do? He betrayed Jesus for silver. Which helps us understand a lot more about what Jesus means when he says, many will stand before me on the day of judgment and they will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do these mighty works? And what will the Lord say to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. You see how all along we can be involved in serious ministry activity, but our hearts can still actually love riches rather than God, right? That, that is the, the real root of the problem. We've talked about the fruit of discontentment, but what's the root? The root of our money problem. We see it right here in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction, right? That's the fruit. Here's the root. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money. 
Quick survey of the crowd. All right, everybody, listen up real quick. Hands up. How many of you like money? Hands up. You like money? That's like half of you. Cool. Others of you are looking at me like, eh, trick question there, big guy, right? Others of you are like, well, I don't know. Do I like money? You know? <laughs> You're thinking like a, like a junior higher in the 80s. Well, you know, I don't know if I, do I like money or do I like like money? Maybe I have a crush on it, but I, I don't love it, right? Like that's so, you know, we try to justify things in our hearts that way. Like I like, here, here's the thing. Like I really wasn't trying to ask you a trick question. I'm just trying to say it to you. Like it's okay to like money, right? Because money itself isn't necessarily wrong, right? Money in and of itself, what is it? It's just paper and print and metal coin. It's just a number in an electronic number in a bank account, that's really what it is. Like, there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. There's dangers of money. We just talked about those. You can wander away from the faith. You can pierce yourselves with many pangs. If you desire to be rich, what does Jesus say? It's harder for a, camel to, uh, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right? There are warnings and dangers about the desire to be rich, but there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself we feel that way, though, sometimes, because why? Because somewhere along the way, we've kind of misunderstood Scripture. We've started to say, hey, you know what? The Bible says that money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. This is why we have to be careful with money, right? Money itself is not sinful. Money the desire for money can become sinful. And here's why. It's because money reveals what our hearts love. The way we spend money reveals what our hearts love. It reflects what's deep within our hearts. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. This is a, this is a super basic point, but again, today we're laying the foundation for the next three weeks. Guys, here's a basic point that everybody needs to understand. Money is lovable, (laughs) okay? Money is lovable. You can love it. And the scripture warns us from doing that repeatedly. We read it in 1 Timothy 6. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, Lovers of money. And then it goes on to list like this whole other slew of sinful and unholy things that people will be involved in, but the love of money is one of them. Hebrews chapter 13 verse five says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Guys, money is lovable. Your heart can love it. The scripture warns us against loving money. Here's the thing. You know why it's such a big deal if you love money? Here's why. Here's why it's such a big deal. Because Jesus says you can't both love money and love God. You can't. Either Jesus got it wrong and he's a liar or Jesus is right. What did Jesus say in Luke 16 verse 13? No servant can serve two masters for he will either either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Many of us in this room would say, you know what? Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. 
but we live like money is our Lord. Jesus is saying, you can't have both. You can't serve two masters. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can. The root of our money problem is that we are prone to love money more than God. And what do you call it when you love anything more than God? Idolatry. Idolatry. See, discontentment and all of its warning signs, you know what it reveals? It reveals that there is an idol sitting on the throne of our heart where only God belongs. At the end of the day, guys, discontentment isn't really a money problem. It's a worship problem. It's a worship problem. Do you connect the dots like that when you're thinking through your challenges with money? Do you connect the dots with the idols of your heart? Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now catch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Guys, all of our money is somewhere, right? All of our money is somewhere. Our hearts go there too. Where your money goes, your heart goes. This is a super simple example, but on a very practical level. Most of you in this room probably, I would assume, you, you, haven't, you, you don't really care about how Microsoft or Apple or Toyota or Starbucks, or, you don't really care about what's going on in their company, right? What, until what? Until you buy some of their stock, until you invest there. Why is that? You care about it because you're invested in it. Your heart has become attached to it because your money is there. Guys, that's the way it is with our lives. Where our money goes, our heart follows. Our big problem with money isn't money. It's our hearts. It's our hearts. We've talked about the fruit of discontentment and all the warning signs. We've talked about the root of the idolatry of our hearts and what we love. Let's talk about the solution. What's the solution to our money problem? Here's what I want you to know right away. First thing you need to know is that the solution to your money problem, the, the solution to a desire for riches is not to become poor. All right? Like, and I, I shouldn't have to say that, but I kind of do now because for many years in our culture, we had what was called the prosperity gospel. Hey, if you follow God, you're going to have wealth and riches. And if you just follow him wholeheartedly, he will bless you with financial blessing. Here's the thing. He does do that sometimes. But you know what? What about the people who faithfully followed the Lord all through the New Testament and they were poor and homeless and didn't know where their next meal was coming from? Some of them were eaten by lions and sawn in half. They didn't have health, wealth, and prosperity. They, they, they actually lived out what Jesus said when he said, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The prosperity gospel is a lie. You should be able to identify it, discard it quickly, rebuke it when you see it in our church. 
But you know what else is going on in our culture now? It's not just the prosperity gospel. You know what else happens in American culture? The poverty gospel. Oh, you're saved if you have learned to live a simple life. Just be poor. And what goes on in the the hearts of man is that all of a sudden we become kind of a different type of Pharisee, a self-righteous poor Pharisee. I'm poor and I'm better than the rest of you rich people. And we get a little chip on our shoulder about that. And that becomes an issue. That has been a real one for me in my past. And I thank the Lord that he's done a great work to deliver me from that one. But here's the thing. The solution for the desire for riches is not to make yourself poor. And here's how I know that. It's because of what comes next in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we just read verses 6 through 10. Fast forward a little bit to verse 17 and see what Paul says here. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Right? So like, some of us in this room are wealthy. Some of us have, the Lord has provided us with many things, and he's done that so that we can enjoy them. Right? Like, that, There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God has given us so long as we don't what? Set our hope in riches. We don't want to be confident in our riches. You know why? It's because riches are here one day and gone the next. They are uncertain, Paul says here to Timothy. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Guys, who knows when the next stock market crash is going to come? Who knows when the real estate bubble is going to burst? Who knows when the next pandemic could hit and shut down and people lose their jobs? Who knows when you could lose your job next? We, the, the uncertainty of riches is a reality of life. And so we cannot put our hope in it. Riches are here today, gone tomorrow. Right? I read a book years and years ago called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And in that book, he has a quote that always stuck with me. He said, look, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul right? You'll never see the simple statement, whatever you have on this earth, you can't take it with you, right? What we have, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. We can't take any of it with us. The solution to our money problem isn't more money. Money is here today, gone tomorrow. The solution to our money problem is hope in God. It's rock-solid confidence in God. Because money is here today, gone tomorrow. God is here today, here tomorrow, going to be here forever, right? Like, he's with us through it all. And what we've got to take away from this message today is that real wealth, real riches, riches toward God, it's not ultimately about what we have, it's about who we have. And when you have God, believer, You have everything you'll ever need. Do you believe that in your hearts today? When you have God, you will always have everything you ever need because he promises to supply all you need according to his riches and glory. He's not going to lie to you. When you have God, you will have all you ever need. Church, we worry so much about money. We wonder if we're going to have enough money. We wonder if we're going to earn enough to get the things we want. Let me, let me remind you. I know we all worry about this, but let me remind you a truth about God from Romans chapter 8, verse 32. 
This is God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God will give you all the things you need in this lifetime. In fact, the truth is, God's given us so much more than we need in this lifetime. He's blessed us with an abundance. But our God gave us his one and only son. Guys, having Jesus, having the forgiveness of our sin, having a right relationship with God, having our eternity secure in heaven forever, there's no amount of money in this world that could ever buy that. It could only be purchased by the blood of Jesus. And God gave that. He made that purchase for us. He didn't hold back his son from us. If he didn't hold back his son, his most precious possession, you think he's going to hold off on giving you what you actually need for daily living? He will provide. He will provide. Set your hope in God. When your hope is in God, you know what's going to happen? We're going to move from discontentment to contentment. When our hope is in God, we will be satisfied with the basic necessities of life. Money itself isn't going to be that big of a deal to us anymore. Money is just, it's just going to be money. It's just a kind of a means to an end. Right now, the problem is a lot of us think like money is the means to an end and the end that we want is this materialistic, lavish, luxurious life or some imaginary life that we think will be good when we finally get there. You know, money is a means to an end. And when your ultimate end, when your purpose in life, when the chief end for which you live is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, you just see money as a means to that end, to glorify God. Money will exist to you, not so much to make you enjoy this life and pursue all these different things, the allure of the world. Money will exist for you to glorify God. Paul describes it this way again at the end of 1 Timothy 6. Paul says to those who have money, those who are rich, he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's false life to reach for. Money, riches, possessions, wealth, the things that we're gonna leave behind. It's not truly life. You know what truly life means? It means life with God. Life with God. Life for God. When our hearts hope in God rather than money, we're going to use our money for his glory. We're going to start to enjoy things like giving and blessing others and sharing what we have and being generous to those in need and investing in the things that will actually matter, not on our five-year plan, but on a five-million-year plan. Remember what Jesus said. He said, don't store up riches here on this earth where things like rust and corrupt. Jesus said, uh, store up treasure in heaven. And what did he say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your money goes along with your heart. Your heart goes along with your money. So here's a practical takeaway for you. If you find yourself today really struggling with the allure, the draw to be rich, um, and you know you need to make a change, here's a practical thing. Invest 
your money in something that is close to the heart of God. God cares about widows and orphans. God cares about the fatherless. God cares about those who are truly poor. God cares about his church. God cares about the gospel going forward into all the nations. If you today would take a step to invest in one of those things that's close to the heart of God, when your money goes there, you know what's going to be there also? Your heart. Your heart will be there. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Guys, we want to remember the big point of this sermon series. This whole, the whole point of this whole series is that if we want to honor God with our money, then we must know what God thinks about money. And the first thing we have to understand when it comes to the problem of money, we have to understand our real problem with money isn't money. It's our hearts. Our real problem with money is that we choose to love money rather than love God. And that's the problem. So when you think today about your money problems, ask the Lord to change your heart. Ask him to stir your heart. More than a, a financial plan, more than a, you know, a better budget. More, those, you need a better heart. You need a new heart. <laughs> and I think some of us in this room today may need to get our hearts right with God when it comes to our money. Maybe that's you today. This morning, as I pray to, to close us out, as I pray out loud, would you pray in your heart? Ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Don't be afraid to ask him that. I think we are afraid to ask the Lord that sometimes because we know that our hearts are idol factories. <laughs> would you, as I pray out loud, would you ask the Lord to search your heart because we need to beware of the fruits of discontentment. We need to be aggressively fighting against the root of our idolatrous heart. We need to reorient our wandering heart towards our generous God who richly gave us his son. And when we do, we will use our money for God's glory. We will hope in God because what we know is this. Real wealth isn't ultimately about what we have. It's about who we have. And church, we have God. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. May he satisfy our hearts in him. Let's pray. We'll see where the Lord takes us in this study over the next few weeks. Father, we stop for a minute and we again confess our propensity to love other things more than you. Lord, many things we are susceptible to love instead of you. We remember this morning that one of those is money and riches and the things of this world. Um, we know that if that wasn't possible, if it wasn't a serious reality, you would have never had to address it in your word. And yet, Lord, you give us a lot of teaching in your word about our problems with money. And so, Lord, I pray that you would now do what we just mentioned, Lord. As the psalmist prayed, Lord, search our hearts. Search everyone's heart in this room, everybody who's listening online. Search our hearts, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in us. Our hearts deceive us, Lord. Nothing can deceive you. You can cut through it all. Cut through it now, Lord. Show us if there's any idolatrous stuff in our hearts. 
And I pray, Lord, for those in this room who you have saved and called to yourself, those who have the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that if we've been quenching you in your work, grieving you through the the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives because of our love for money, cut us today. Cut us open. Lay us bare before you. Don't let us off the hook. Haunt us with this. We don't want to wander away from you because of our love for money. We don't want to slow fade away from you. Lord, remove, cast out our idols. Lord, I pray that you would make each of us at University Baptist Church, those who may be listening from other churches, make us people who are glad to give to you, Lord, because you generously gave to us when you gave your son. Let us be satisfied with the simple things in life. Give us contentment, deep contentment, Lord, in you. We're so prone to wander, Lord. I'm probably going to struggle today when this service is over. But Lord, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us pay attention. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church today. And when we hear you, Lord, let us respond to what you're saying with full love and faith and confidence in you as our loving Heavenly Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.